First, the bill's not going to help. If it takes parental rights away, it's not going to help kids. Okay? doesn't matter how many small percentage of people, of kids, are having problems where they need to do something without parents' consent. The other 98% of the kids are going to be harmed by this. Okay? So I take the time, and I go out, and I talk to these people, and this is the same conversation I'm having with every single person. There are parts of your bill that are good, but when you add it with this bill and with this bill and with this bill, which the Democrats are doing on purpose, now you have 10 bills, all of them undermine the family, take away parents' rights, give more access to kids to dangerous drugs, give more access to kids for special interest groups that have the ability to twist and turn this and do it. And I had the same conversation this, this uh, morning that I've had with five or six other different counselors, mental health people, and everything. As long as you are a good, morally upright person, this bill will be beneficial to you. But all of the other people that are grooming and have very demonic mentalities, have very perverted mentalities, and doing all this other stuff, this bill will destroy our kids. It will give access to our kids without parental consult, um, without parental consent by counselors and teachers and things to guide these children toward their definition of what mental health is. As long as you're a good person, your definition of mental health is healthy, it's good, it's positive. But that's not who's making the bills. That's not who's making these laws. And so I have many, I had an hour and a half of conversations today with four different mental health people explaining, yes, you have a good mentality. Um, although not all four of them had the right mentality, and they admitted, yes, they have different mentalities when it comes to um, gender issues and, and children's rights to have gender issue conflicts with their parents and not tell their parents. And those are the people that are making the bills. And here's the other side. They, this is very intentional, very strategic by the Democrat Party. They've got 10 bills all tied together I'm arguing with one mental health person over one bill because half of that bill seems fairly good for the average student that's struggling with something. But they're not seeing the big picture, and this is very intentional. It was said by our governor at the, secretary, at the uh, State of the State address, and it was said by our House Speaker at her uh, acceptance speech for House Speaker. They are running everything through the lens of LGBT and EDI, everything. They told us they're doing that. So when you say, well, this bill is just really, it's really good, and it's not, it's not really going to accomplish. I mean, it could, but it's not going to. If it could, it's going to be because that's why they designed it. They didn't design it for this group of people you think you're helping. They design it to hurt children. They design this. Not the, not the mental health practitioners that are trying to work with this bill, but then they add these extra two or three little things that say parents don't have any consent on this thing. And then they add it to six other bills. I had a mental health worker today tell me, because I voted against, I spoke strongly today on the floor four or five different times against um, just allowing all psychologists to have, uh, be able to give uh, children um, psychotropic drugs, psychotropic drugs. I, I put an amendment in there that says no kids, do it for adults. I don't even like the idea for adults either, but I said, but it'll help the children. It may possibly help four or five kids but it's going to mess with a lot more kids than that. Psychotropic drugs are not to be handed out like candy, and we're doing it already. We even have PAs in hospitals that will give, uh, give kids psychotropic drugs because the parent says, well, sure, because the parent doesn't know either. 
First of all, Pastor, thank you for what you're doing up there. Yep. You're an inspiration, and you're hard to abide to God for what he wants you to do, even though you don't want to be there. We thank you for that. Yep. Um, and second of all, what is EDI? <laughs> uh, somebody here knows what EDI is. Tell me. Diversity, equity, inclusion, access, it's a mess. Yeah, the access is kind of a newer thing to say on, but yeah. um, equity, diversity, and inclusion is what yeah. it is. Diversity, equity, inclusion, access, yeah. yeah. That, that means that every... Okay, do you guys know the difference between equality and equity? This is a big deal. Because equity is the only word you hear nowadays. You used to hear equality all the time. That's gone very, very minimal, and mostly now you're hearing equity. Equality means... That, that um, okay, the correct definition of equality means God created us all equal. It doesn't matter who you are, skin color, anything. God created us all equal. Intelligence, non-intelligence, God created us all equal. So we all have an equal starting point. You're at the starting point, gun goes off, boom, you're running with everybody else. Equity says if you've got some people that are faster, you pull them back because they should not be allowed to run faster than somebody else. Okay. Uh, mentally, they, sh they can't be faster. Um, physically, they can't be faster. Emotionally, they can't be faster. Uh, they don't have, if, if, they don't, if they choose um, not to go to this school or not to get this training or not to do this, and you choose to do that, you should not be paid more because the end line we're all supposed to cross at the same time. doesn't matter whether you work hard or you don't work hard, whether you're lazy or not lazy. None of that has to do with it. Equity means everybody gets equaled. Well, the only way that can happen is you've got to pull people back because you have people that will never, ever want to be there but then have all the benefits of being there. That's the difference between equality and equity. Equality is a, is a God-given principle. Equity is a Satan-given principle. It's the, from the father of lies. It, it, it harms people. It doesn't help. It tears down um, the fact that God created us equal and then gave us opportunity. Give everybody opportunity. There's no problem with that. But if they choose not to excel in that opportunity or they just don't, and really, at the end of the day, nobody believes in equity. They say they do, but they don't. Um, they only believe in equity if they're behind somebody. The moment they pull ahead of somebody, they don't believe in equity anymore. Right? So. Um, you know, I was, as I was uh, driving to the Capitol today, I had today by myself. Usually I carpool. Oftentimes I carpool with people. And... Um, we're talking and strategizing, doing something like that. But the day was by myself, and I like those days. Um, also because I just get to worship, sing, pray, talk to God um, loudly. People in the car, carpooling, don't always like that. And so, um, although carpooling, when we, like Monday we carpooled, and one of, the, one of the aides that lives here, she went with us. And uh, she said, do you mind if I just sit back here and pray? I was like, would you please sit back there and pray? Please, pray the whole way. Pray loud. I need that. I need that covering. I need that presence. I need that whatever. But today I was listening. I just had it on repeat, the song Lion. You guys know what Lion is? Let the lion roar. And I was thinking that, and I kept praying, Jesus, you're the lion. Roar in that capital. Roar. Not me, roar. I'll, I'll do the best I can to listen to the Lord and follow and roar a little bit, right? But it's like, 
It's like a, um, it's like the difference between a wolf and a brand new puppy. And I'm like, ah. you know, and that's, and, and then, and then the lion roars and it fills the whole capital. I kept praying, Jesus, roar, roar in that house, roar, roar through every one of those seats, roar in hearts. Let it be heard so strongly and so deeply in their hearts. I can't get away from it. And, and then we go and we, we fight these stupid bills. And I was literally begging the people on the floor, please don't make these psychotropic drugs just so readily, handably available to all these children. Oh, they need it. It's the only way they can help. Every single, there's five states that have done what we just passed this morning. Five states that have already done this. In every one of those states, as soon as they did this, suicide doubled. But nobody listens to facts. Because, well, we know better. The, the um, president of the uh, American Psychiatric Association said this will harm and destroy our kids, and, they do, and the psychologists do not have the training for this. Please don't do this. We just voted in because we don't care. We act like we care about kids. We murder them in the womb. We take parents' rights away. We try to destroy them. We push them into all kinds of perversion, which pushes them into later perversions and even human trafficking and everything else. And then we say we're for the kids. And I was the only one today actually trying to do something for the kids. The only one. And I'm like, hey, all right. I will get down off of that high horse and let's look at some stuff. Okay, so here's, I'm going to be speaking about this this weekend, um, a plan. What is your plan? And, uh, and I don't mind us kind of even um, um, developing that a little bit tonight as much as you guys want to. I'll let you guide some of that as we get closer to the end. But I, but I, want, to, uh, I want to go over a few things for us and, um, and, uh, and help us to look at some things. So let's go to... Um, let's go to Acts chapter 6. I'll, I'll spill the beans a little bit on some of what I'm going to talk about Sunday. Let me see how much I want to do that. Let's, let's read this first. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. But as the believers repli- uh, rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. So you're saying... If you get a bunch of Christians together, there's going to be discontent. That's what it looks like it says, doesn't it? Just because we're serving Jesus, does that mean we're all going to agree on everything? No. There's going to be discontent. There's going to be things. I mean, things that we need to, to process, take care of, or whatever the case is. That's normal. That's normal. How you take care of it is important. How you process is important. But but people can have disagreements. There's no way you can do that. I mean, not in my marriage, but in your marriages, you probably have discontent occasionally. Um, you're going to have disagreements and discontent. Linda and I both love the Lord, not necessarily at the same level, but we both love the Lord. And, uh, and there's discontent that comes up because of somebody not loving the Lord as much. So uh, hopefully I'll catch up. I was waiting. I set that up. Nobody was taking it. <laughs> okay, the Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers. Hmm. That, you, does that still happen today? You know, it was interesting. When we had our Hispanic service, um, uh, Pastor Sam would come to us all the time, and he was uh, Cuban. 
and his family was Cuban. But, they, but there was like eight or nine, more than that, probably 12 or different um, uh, Latin people groups within our Hispanic church. It wasn't, wasn't Mexicans most, mostly. There were some, but most of them were Latin countries. And then some of the island countries and stuff like that. And Pastor Sam would come to me, and he would explain. I, I, I'm not going to say the, the, um, the countries because I don't remember them properly. But he would come to me and say, yeah, we're struggling a little bit. Why? Because this Latin group is struggling with this Latin group because their coffee is better than their coffee. And then he would always say, but Cuban coffee is the best. I don't know why they're fighting, you know, that kind of thing. So, so yeah, you're going to have these problems, all right? Um. They were saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the 12, who are the 12? Those are the disciples slash apostles because one of them was replaced um, due, a, due to a uh, workplace accident. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. This is an important thing, okay? We're going we're gonna to get to this and kind of unpack it a little bit. Guys, that's a pretty important statement, okay? And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. That's also important, what they thought the criteria should be for this, okay? Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. <clears throat> Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following, and then they got the list of it, okay? So, and, and then verse 7, so God's message continued to spread. What was the point of the whole, all the stuff that they're talking about? So God's message continued to spread. We so easily lose focus of that in the church, in the body of Christ in a general sense. Okay. Let me, I'll unpack that. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. Many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Okay? So, um, the apostle said, we've got to be teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. What, what, what does that, not necessarily in the church. I'm not necessarily bringing this into the church context because it's not exactly the same context. I'll kind of explain some of that as we unpack it, but... What, what is that principle? What principle are they talking about here when it says, the apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program? What's the principle there? What's the overarching idea there? Delegation? Delegation is important. Why? So who does not lose focus? The leaders and those that have been delegated to. Okay? Everybody. Delegation helps everybody stay focused on what we're trying to accomplish. Okay? So in the church, what are we trying to accomplish? Spreading the gospel. So the things that we do should keep us focused on that. Now, guys, we could spend all day going over this. We'll spend a little bit of time. We could spend all day on this. The things that the church has become, the things that the church is doing, and even our church here, there are things that we do also that potentially distract us from spreading the gospel. Okay? And, I, and I'm owning that as saying it's, it's, it's within the concept of my leadership. Okay? So 
The church is supposed to be about spreading the gospel. What are things that the church can get caught up in? Not bad things. I'm not saying sin or, or shooting people or things. I'm saying just what are some things the church can get caught up in that potentially can lead us away from spreading the gospel? Um, okay, say that in the microphone, James, but that's, you got to uh, um, expound on that a little bit. Getting, getting sidetracked with the things that might look good but are getting away from the focus of getting into the Word. Like what? Fundraisers, Fundraisers programs, um, pot, yeah. Oh, come on, Al. Potlucks are not distracting us from the gospel. Focusing on, on the numbers versus reaching. You know, I said this to somebody maybe a couple weeks ago. I don't remember. It was a little bit before. And uh, they don't have the same church thinking that I do. They're not, even, they're, not, they're not even near where I'm at with this. But they were asking me questions about my church because in the, in the settings that I'm in now, I'm talking to a lot of people that do see me as kind of a weird anomaly. They, they don't always come to me and ask me questions because they don't know, they don't know how, as a pastor, what am I going to say here? Even some of the mental health workers I was talking with today, they kept saying, well, we know you're a pastor, so... And I love it when people say that because nobody actually knows how I think when they say, we know you're a pastor. What they're thinking is... the church context they came from. And it's very different. Church is very different across the board um, from where we are, right? And, and, and if we went around the room and discussed certain specific things, you guys are going to be on different pages than I am on certain things. So when somebody says, well, as a pastor, you probably... I love hearing what comes next usually, right? Because it's always... I'm always like, huh, you really think that? So here's the thing. So like... Um, the idea that, uh, that as Christians, we're supposed to be doing, and then you just line up a bunch of stuff. As, Christ, as church people, we're supposed to be doing. Do, does that take away from us spreading the gospel or help spread the gospel? Brandon? I think a little bit of it has to do with comfort and complacency. Um, you know, we all show up to a church, and we all know each other, and <clears throat> Sundays are a great day, but it's stepping outside of that. You know, it even starts here. When you see people in church that you don't know, it's stepping over that chicken wire and going and meeting somebody new. And that's where outreach starts. And, and, and reaching outside the confines of the church, obviously, but I think a lot of it has to do with going above and beyond and stepping outside the norm to really go spread the gospel and spread the word and yeah. do it. Do what God asked us to do. You know, getting the biggest step toward um, toward thinking about lost people and staying as that as our focus is just getting outside your comfort zone. It's just like you're saying, taking that first step. Everybody's first step is different. We don't. None of us are going to have that first step. That's the same. But we all have that first step, and you have to be able to say, "What? How can I get outside my comfort zone?" Okay. Now, we could go individually and go through this, and everybody would have a story about this. But to, to just kind of say it 
um, in mass here is there are times when every single one of us here, there are times when we know we could have told somebody about Jesus. We were stirred to do that. We felt that, but we didn't, okay? Don't, don't condemn yourself. That's not the point. That's not the reason I'm saying it. It's just to acknowledge the fact, yeah, if I would have just taken a step, what could have happened? Just take that first step. Say that first word. Do something. But, it's, but man, that's... And Satan's going to make sure that first word, step, whatever, is so difficult for you. Um, so did you give the mic to somebody? Yes, ma'am. We came from a church years ago in Omaha that went through a building program, and they, they actually hired a professional <clears throat> business that their whole business was going to churches and running their building program fundraising. And a lot of the money that they raised went to this company, but the focus of the whole building program became the building program. And I think it's important for all of us, no matter what we're doing, whether we're parenting, whether we're at work, whether we're at the Capitol, whether we're doing building programs, to, to put on the mirrors in our house to remind us, what is your why? Why, why are you doing what you're doing? Like parents can get so busy, you know, parents can get so busy putting their kids in, in 15 different sports and dance lessons and singing lessons and, and even church programs. I mean, they can get so busy that they lose their kids because they never eat dinner together. They never do anything to bond as a family. So, the, so why do you put your kids in all these programs? Why do you do that? Well, that's what the neighbors are all doing, and my kids really want to do that. I mean, we, boy, did we butt against that when we raised our kids. We had dinner together every night, all eight of our kids and us. We had dinner together. We did not let sports divide us. Um, but what is, what is your why? And I appreciated what you said on Sunday about the building program, because basically you were saying, I'm not, this church is not going to be like that church in Omaha. This church is not going to make, is, why are you having a building program? So that you can reach the world and, and teach them, you know, so you can have a bigger place to worship, you know, instead of just have a bigger building. Yeah. Now, I just want to go on record. I don't even know what church in Omaha she's talking about. So I did not say anything about that church in Omaha. Okay. Um, so, so guys, let me, let me unpack some of what she said because this is good. I've had 20 companies, maybe more, come to me, say, we can help you raise your money. At least that many, probably more than that. We can help you raise your money. They send packets, do all this kind of stuff. We can help you raise your money. We actually brought one group of people. Who's, who's on the board that's here tonight? Russell, I think Pat was actually on the board when we brought the 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 stock things. Were you on the board, Russell? I don't know. Pat was on the board. We talked about you buy. This was very, very common in the 80s and 90s um, for more evangelical and, and well, all kinds of churches. You you buy a stock in the church, and after a certain amount of time, it um, it matures, and you can get interest on that, and you actually make money by investing your money into the church building and that kind of stuff. This is a very, very common thing. It happens in many, many churches. I mean, in fact, in the, in the 80s and 90s, well, really the 90s, yeah, the, the 80s and 90s, it was the way churches raised money. It was the number one way, hands down. Um, and, then, and then what they're expecting you to do is at the end of it, you turn that stock back over to the church because you're a good guy. And, um, 
And then that money goes back to the church, and the church gets like another uh, influx of money. Um, I, I don't like any of these kind of programs. I don't, I don't want to bring somebody in here with a nice slick program and a nice business model and all this stuff. And these things work, by the way. But with this business model and this slick plastic program and asking you for money all the time. I, I don't like, it is, it's, it, I just don't like that. I, I've, I've seen those in different churches I, I grew up in. I've seen not exactly that, but different things. And I just don't like that. I, I, okay, so you guys know my master's and my doctorate is in leadership. Do you know how many leadership programs, leadership books, leadership tests, all kinds of stuff I've done over the years? You know what I've come to the conclusion of? Most of that stuff is taking all of man's mentalities and trying to force it over the top of the church and make the church a business model that will uh, work productively in a societal context. But here, just, so I'm giving away, this is just some of, of uh, what I'm talking about Sunday. But here's the thing. Show me one church growth model in the New Testament. Really in the whole Bible, show me one church growth model. I had this conversation with this person, this completely different religious uh, church mentality. And they asked me about that. Um, well, how, do you, how, do you, how does your church grow or something along the lines? What, what makes your church grow? I said, well, we just don't really have a church growth model. I said, I, I've told the church this over and over. We won't do that. We won't ever have a church growth model, church growth plan as long as I'm pastor. He said, man, I'm so glad you said that. He said, churches are so interested in making sure there are people sitting in the seats. You say, well, that's the only way you can get things done. I think you're looking at it backwards. The reason we need things done is because people are sitting in the seats. We're not trying to get people in the seats so we can get things done. Those are two different things. But interestingly, and I found this really interesting. Uh, somebody was talking to somebody else, and they came and told me that Sunday there was, there was no seats left anywhere in the back, which is where people struggle to be. And, and they said they had to come all the way up here and sit right over here, and it was really irritating to them. Why should they have to sit up close? They were kind of joking, right? Why should they have to sit up there? Because we're full. You understand? I've never talked about this. Well, maybe I have. But statistics say once church gets 60% full, seating-wise, people stop coming. They, they'll do it for a little while. But at 70%, people literally will, will not come back. And at 80%, you can sustain that for a few months. And that's if you're anticipating growth. But what will happen is you'll do to that 60, 70, and just about hit 80, and then you'll drop back down to 60 and 70%. Because, because people don't want to sit on top of other people. We've been doing that for years here now, right? Um, now, by the way, just in case you're wondering, we do have a first service. <laughs> and it's, it's pretty wide open, okay? Yeah, it's pretty early. All right. Did you give the mic, Russell? Yeah, in Acts chapter 6, you discussed it, daily distribution of food. I think if we gave out food every day, yes. I think we would probably grow. Yeah. Well, okay, so the Pentecostal churches back in the day, that's how they grew right there. You had a potluck every week. And as a kid, I was like, mm, mm, because people can cook, right? Every now and then you eat something, you're like, 
Who made this? Because you don't want to ever eat from them again. But 90%, 95, 98% of the time you eat something, you're like, wow, because your family doesn't eat that normally, right? Um, but so, so come back to that, Tricia. This, this is an important thing for us. We don't I, don't, I don't want us to ever have to have pressure. By the way, uh, the giving and everything, I was amazingly surprised at how everybody responded so well financially Sunday. Rick's been putting all the... the the numbers together on the page and all this stuff. It's exciting what's happening just in the very first week that we're really trying to push this. Um, very exciting. Uh, we'll probably give you the numbers over the next few weeks. We, could, we couldn't meet with the bank this week. We were supposed to. We couldn't because of some complications, so we're going to have to postpone that, redevelop that. But, but I'm excited with what's happening. Here's the thing. If you believe in it, you'll give, like I said Sunday, right? I'm, we don't need to beg you. I don't like those companies doing that kind of stuff. I don't like that, that slick stuff. I, I, I shy away from that. And, and nowadays, more and more, I shy away from this. this I know I, people always say, well, the church is a business. I don't really think it is. I think we have to do certain things like it's a business because we are an incorporated entity and we do have certain things. But we're not a business. This is a spiritual place. So... So, so show me. This is, this is our exercise. Tell me some places in Scripture where God laid out a very, very distinct, clear, and there are many, um, very clear and distinct plan. I want you to do this with this structure and whatever the case is, and I want you to do it exactly this way. What are some of those things? Building the temple. That's probably the biggest, okay? Building the temple. The ark. Linda, what were you going to say? The ark. Doug's got a point. Linda has a point. That's not always a point, Tricia. Sometimes. Sometimes you get demerits for that. Uh, the, the temple, the ark, what you're talking about, you're talking about the arky arky, right? Where the yes. animals two by two e? Okay. So not, not just the temple, but everything in the temple. Every piece of furniture, every, every uh, instrument, uh, the, the, and everything was made of this kind of wood, and it was covered with gold or silver or brass. And it was incredibly specific. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah. Really. And the same with the art, very specific with type of wood, <laughs> dimensions, and everything. Um, how, was, how was Noah supposed to know how to build an ark? There had never been water coming down. There had never been a boat. He was the first boat builder. What else? What else is very specific in Scripture? Plan, the structure, and everything. Or whatever, whatever, however you want to do it. New Jerusalem for future. That's very, very intentional and specific, right? Well, if you and Liz wouldn't have been talking... Hey, I am the honorable Scott... Bottoms. I can't get her to call me that at home. I don't know why. Uh, New Jerusalem. Okay, what are, what are some other things? Yes, Passover feast. Now, that's, that's a plan more than a, a building structure, but it's very, very detailed. Everything about it is detailed, okay? That's, that's more of a plan. So what are some other, in that category, what are some other plans that are very intentional? Doug. After the crucifixion and the resurrection. Yes, now that's a whole other category, but that's a very solid thing is 
The cross didn't just happen. It was very intentional, very detailed, and very planned. What about the Ark of the Covenant? The tabernacle in in cooperation with the temple, both. They were different plans, but they they were plans. Ark of the Covenant, a very specific building structure. Okay? Guys, we could go through all of this all through the Bible, and you can go through all these plans, all this stuff. You're going to hear a little bit of that Sunday, but you get a repeat. Okay, so here's the, here's the unique question with this. All of those things have to deal with one thing. They're all based around one thing. What is that? Serving God, serving Jesus, all that. Submission to God, relationship with God, it's all around that. Okay, when we come to these kind of stories, now you got a plan that includes people doing things. What is the intention? What is the point? So that we spread the gospel. Okay, guys, this is this is big because I'm about to switch gears on us. All of this stuff, everything, all the plans, everything. Okay, what about um, building your house upon a rock or building your house upon the sand? What is the point of that? Because storms are going to come against you. What does that mean? He's not, he's not literally talking about don't build your house on the side of a mountain like they do in Boulder and then it all washes down into Denver. Although they could listen to it for that and it's very applicable there. But what is he really talking about when the storms of life come against us? Same thing. You'll be standing strong in Christ. Because the rock you're building your foundation is not bedrock of the earth. It's Jesus. It works too in building houses. Right? Just look at the leaning tower of Pisa. Somebody should have paid attention to the ground underneath. Right? But, but here's the thing. Most of the stuff that you're going to hear in churches nowadays when it comes to a plan is a leadership development plan for you. Are you following me? I, I, I know a guy I went to high school with him. Not to the same high school, but we were in high school at the same time. I knew him, church camps, all this kind of stuff. He's a pastor. He quit pastoring recently, and now he travels around with John Maxwell doing leadership training. And so then he goes into churches and does a nice little 15-, 20-minute sermon doing leadership training. Guys, our churches are full of leadership training. When do we go back to, God, your plan actually needs to go back to you. Your plan needs to surround, uh, put me surrounding you. My ideas and direction, everything. Now, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a lot more over this Sunday than I'm going to go right now, but to say, God does want you to have a business plan. God does want you to have a family plan, all these kind of things. Because at the end of the day, if we will get in our minds and our spirits, you can have the seven steps to, to highly successful people and all this other stuff. But at the end of the day, you can overdo all of that stuff to the point where, well, what happens to just, what is, what is God's, give me the top three things from your perspective that Jesus, if he was sitting here right now and he was going to say, here's, here's your life plan. What are the top three things he's going to tell you? Listen to the Holy Spirit. Preach the gospel, share the word, pray. Those are going to be the top three. 
There's also going to be a fourth of reading your Bible, right? And by the way, being led by the Holy Spirit includes all of these. But, but here's the thing. We say the only way that we can effectively do this and this and this and this in any setting, take any setting you're in, is if we develop all these things. So, so some of what we're supposed to be doing as people of purpose, that's, that's one of the things I've been talking about the last few weeks, people of purpose is making sure that our purpose is prioritized around God. Now, that means in any business setting, any work setting, prioritize around God. Right? It is so challenging. I see this. I, I, don't, I don't feel like it's challenging. But I see this, and I'm already seeing people that, are, that really are, are consider themselves good, strong, conservative people going into the Capitol that are already being worn down by the, the machine. That is a, that's a big machine up there. And it pulls people in, chews them up, and spits them out. Okay? And I'm already seeing a couple people that are, that are getting chewed up and spit out, and they don't know it because they're getting caught up in this feeling or this idea or this, well, it's going to be good, and this plan and everything. Guys, we do the same thing in the church. We develop all this stuff. But, but if we just spent time praying every day, it's amazing how your daily plan will work out. It will be worked out for you is what I'm saying. The Lord will do what? He will, he will, his word will be a light unto your path. What you have to do is to get in the Lord. And then, then when you're at work and you're a manager or whatever the case is, you're at work and you're dealing with these people, because you have spent time in the Lord, the Holy Spirit will give you understanding and discernment and you will be making the right decisions and you will be leading everybody forward the way that you're supposed to. But if you spend all your time trying to figure out how to, and I'm going to take this personality test and I'm going to try to do this and I want to work with this person and all this stuff, Pretty soon you're, you're so inundated with all the stuff that you lose sight of what God put you there for. Why did he put you there? Why did he put you in that position at work? To be a witness. Guys, to be a witness. You say, well, I'm just a plumber. I had somebody say that to me recently. I'm just, a, well, actually he was saying electrician. But same concept. Um, I'm just an electrician. There's no such thing as just. See, he says these other guys here, they pick seven men. They pick seven men that are what? What is the criteria? Well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. To do what? What was going to be their job? Hand food out. Hand food out. When we do things like this in the church, and I've watched this all my life, when we do things like this in the church, we do the opposite of the way God said this. I'll tell you one of the biggest ones I saw years ago, and I, I was a youth pastor, and I, I saw a pastor intentionally doing this, and I asked him about it, and he said, this is why we do it. He said, we need to make sure that we have really good, successful businessmen on our board. Why? And by the way, I'm not against businessmen being on the board. But why was he saying that? Three or four different reasons. Any ideas? Yeah, there are probably some uh, optics there to the rest of the church. There, that is legit. That's part of it. Doug? Because they saw it as a business. All right? And I'll get to that in a second. So, Linda, what else were you going to say? 
Okay, maybe some of these people are wealthy. Best way to, the best way to get somebody to contribute to what you're doing is make them part of the decision makers. Then all of a sudden they're contributing financially, potentially. In fact, Lynn and I have sat on different boards, many different boards. If you are asked to sit on a board of something, a nonprofit, a private institution, any of those kind of things, you need to know going in, because sometimes people don't know this, if they ask you to sit on a board, one of the reasons they're asking you is because they're expecting you to contribute financially to that, heftily contribute. Okay, It's not just like, we need your brains on this board. Don't be naive. Okay, Trisha. Wait, Trisha, say it again into the people microphone. That, people think that the way the world measures success, which would be the, that successful businessman, is the way God measures success. And somehow those people must be smarter or a, little, a, a step above the people that maybe don't even have college degrees, but that person who doesn't have a college degree or whatever might, might be so in tune with the Holy Spirit and God and what he's, what he, how he's leading that he could leave some of those businessmen in the dust. So we have to be careful to not measure success in the kingdom the way the world measures success. Yeah. And so he, he, it should have said, select seven men who are really good at passing things out. Select seven men that are, that, you know, they've worked in the restaurant industry. They understand food. And they understand food distribution. But it says, who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom will give them this responsibility. Because why, guys? Kingdom responsibility is different than the way the world looks at stuff. Now, again, if you have a person that's well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom and also has much experience at food distribution, that's a good match. But the criteria or the priority is not good at food distribution. And, I, and I've watched the church get so confused by this for so long. We, we, we get caught up in these traps. And I'll tell you something else happens. These churches that, okay, well, let's just put all these businessmen on the board. Are they praying? Are they seeking God? And then churches make a lot of bad church decisions but good business decisions. And pretty soon the church is not about God. It's not about the gospel. If our desire and our goal is to, be, is to be consistent with this and that we are supposed to be um, making sure that God's message is continued to spread, then for leadership positions, it doesn't matter, department head, um, staff, board, anything, who should we be putting into these positions? People that are well-respected, full of the Spirit and wisdom, and are about God's message being spread. That would be the job description, right? Right? Now, then you say, well, then how many people would we actually have? How many people fit that criteria? Let's go that direction. <laughs> Let's be that. Let's have those goals. As long as we're making sure this is our DNA and we're trying to be that, you'll be surprised at how many people are doing that. 
Every time I do this where I say, okay, how many people are witnessing to somebody right now and you want us to pray for them? It's always wonderfully surprising me how many people stand up and say, I'm trying to witness to this person, my friend, my coworker, my cousin, something like that. I'm trying to witness to them. That's, that's what we're supposed to be about. Now, let's get back. We've got a little bit of time. Let's get back to all of those other things. All of the plans and all the stuff. They were all about the spiritual direction toward God. Every single developed plan in Scripture has to do with getting to to God. Getting to God. Okay? Um, The cross is about us getting to God, being covered with the blood of Jesus so that we can have relationship again with God. It's all about that. So this is where, and and I did this years ago in in like a little study thing I was putting together. But looking at all the different places in Scripture where God says he's going to develop a plan for you. Now, I'm, going to, I'm focusing mostly on that Sunday, so I don't want to go down this too much. But all the places in Scripture where he says he's going to help you develop a plan for you, what is the, what is the uh, elements of that? Now, I did read Sunday. I read Scriptures that specifically talk about God will help you develop a financial plan for you. I'm actually talking about that Sunday, too. I know. We should all be excited. What about a personal plan for you? Who's raised up? Joy. Well, you got to say it in the microphone. i got to say it in the microphone. Um, you know, this leadership stuff, I did a training today on team building, and it's like for years, you know, you're like, this is what you've got to do, this is what you've got to say, and this is how to do it. And it's almost like what I've learned in terms of uh, getting close to God is I have to pray that God will help me. I have to come to a place of just need because if I, if I get my own strategy in my own head, all I do is get confused. And so it's really a yearning and an emptiness that requires me to just yearn for God's help in this because yeah. it's not a putting together another leadership plan. I mean, I don't know if I'm making any sense. But no, you're making total sense. Um, so, I, so I pray these things on a regular basis in my life. God, teach me to worship you. Teach me to worship you. I've been worshiping for a long time. I'm a pretty good worshiper. But I constantly come back, God, teach me to worship you. Teach me your word. I have very good, developed, disciplined study habits and structures that help me get into the word quicker than a lot of people. But I'm praying every day, God, help me to know your word. Teach me how to study your word. It's arrogance to assume I know these things. I know how to worship. I know how to study God's word. I know how to pray. God, teach me to pray. God, teach me to be a good husband. I pray that constantly. And I'm a pretty good husband. Right, Linda? Absolutely. Guys, name one area. See, this is what we do is we, get, we can get uncomfortable in whatever arena of our life we're in. You know, as a parent, you can do this so easily. Specifically, as your kids get older, they get to be teenagers and stuff like that. If you're not careful, you kick into neutral. And, and um, like Trisha was saying, if you, get, if you keep them busy enough, then they're not under your feet kind of thinking. And, and, and the household runs smoother. I've seen this. seen this for, forever. 
You keep the kids busy enough and the household runs smoother. But there's some things missing. What is it? It's you. It's the relationship. You say, well, I'm standing on the sidelines at my kids' whatever. Okay. I'm not saying don't do this stuff. I'm just saying maybe think a little different sometimes. Because at the end of the day, your kid's engaging in the stuff. They're not engaging with you. You're there. You're helping. You're participating. You're doing all this kind of stuff. And most kids like it when their parents are at their sporting events. My kids never did. But um, because I would get too involved telling my kids, what are you doing out there? Do it better. Hit somebody. My kids still say that to me sometimes when I feel like they're... My son played football, and he would run away from people. Not away, but like they'd come to him, and he'd just run around. And I'm like, just hit him. You're covered in armor. Hit him. So my kids would constantly, hit somebody. I said that probably 10,000 times. I'd tell them, just hit anybody. Just hit the guy standing next to you. Just run into him. Well, I don't think he's, just hit him. That's what you're out there for. My kids still, if I say hit somebody, they start twitching, that kind of thing. So here's what happens when you're standing on the sideline, your kid's out on the field. Your kid is playing with his playmates or his teammates, and their focus is whatever ball it is, football, soccer, uh, baseball, what have you. Their focus is not the people on the sideline. Your voice is one of many on the sideline. It gets drowned up by by somebody who's louder or maybe more uh, uh, influential or whatever. But you're not on the field with your kid helping him learn to play. Your kid is out there learning to play with his coach and his teammates. So you're not involved. Yeah. You just now, aren't. I, um, again, I'm not trying to disparage kids being involved. That's nothing. has nothing to do with what I'm saying. But, guys, I've told you this before, and this, this affects a lot of things. I've been with so many people over the years. I, it's a, too high of a number to count that are on their deathbed and die while I'm sitting there. And I, many, 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 many times over the years, I've been the last conversation these people have. I've never had anybody ever say, I wish I could have spent more time at some extracurricular activity. I wish I, wish I could have spent more time at work. I wish we had more money. Never heard anybody say that. They all say the almost identical thing. I wish I could have spent more time with my family. wish I could have spent more time with my wife. wish I could have spent more time with my kids. wish I could have spent more time with my grandkids. Not spending money on them, spending time with them. Because you can't, you can't replace that. That's, and I know, specifically parents of, of younger kids, uh, sometimes you just, I just talked to a parent recently, and they were at a, a thing, an event I was at, I'm like, you probably need to get back. No, this, the kids, I'm good. They were getting a vacation. And it may be only two hours when they were getting a vacation from the kids. Right? I get that. We, I, I totally understand that. But you just never know that one moment when you're spending with the kids and they remember it forever. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. Your kids bring something up on their their. 25, 35, and they say, remember when we did this as a family? You're like, I don't really remember even you during that time frame. But they remember, and it sticks with them forever because you were just there. You were just there. 
Guys, build your spiritual plan. Build your people plan. I'm going to unpack this in a little different way Sunday. Build your life plan around spending time with God. Build it around that. When you're, when you're in the car driving to work, turn the radio off or put worship music on and talk to God. There's plenty of time for other stuff. Sometimes just turn the TV off and hang out with the kids. Just play a stupid game with the kids. And when they're teenagers, you know what they're going to say? Ah, we don't want to do this. We used to do this all the time with our kids. Come in here, we're going to play a game together. We're going to play cards, or, or we're all going to do this. Oh, Dad, we don't like doing this. I know. Come on. Here we go. And then they'll tell you later, 10 years later, they'll tell you, man, we always loved it when we did that. Well, you sure didn't act like it. Guys, we do the same thing with God. God says, I want you to spend some time with me. Oh, I'm so busy. I got to do this. I got to do this. The kids, the TV, I've got to be, I got to spend an hour on Facebook, Lord. I haven't had my Facebook time today. Spend time with him. Section time around the Lord. Right? I know we know this intuitively. We know this. We just got to do it. Just got to do it. Just got to do it. Okay, I want to end by telling you something that I saw this week that I thought was extremely entertaining. Um, just in a bunch of different ways. Uh, so, so driving up, we're trying to figure out how to get to the Capitol and back every day with, the, with mostly Representative DeGraff rides with me. Sometimes a couple other people ride with me. We're trying to figure out timelines. We found if you leave between 6.30 and 6.45, you get there like 45 minutes earlier, okay? If, if we wait and leave at 7 o'clock, there's, we will, every single time we will encounter at least one wreck, and it's usually around two to three wrecks, and sometimes I'm the wreck. So, so we, we tried to do all this. And we were driving up the other day, and there was two different wrecks. You know, so the traffic is slow. It's down to a crawl. You finally get past that. It speeds up for a little while until everybody relaxes again and somebody runs into somebody else. And so we were, we were doing this on I-25, and we came up to this third wreck. We could see it up there. There was a huge, big um, uh, safety vehicle. It was one of those uh, double cab pickups for the fire department, painted red, big camper on the back, lights all over the place, huge, big steel bumpers, all this kind of stuff, right? Very, very large truck, the reflector tape on the back, all kinds of stuff, right? We could see its lights flashing up there, so we knew we were coming upon another wreck of some type. As we get closer, the traffic's moving over, all this kind of stuff, and there's this car sitting behind the truck, and you can tell that that, you know, when it's sitting kind of like that, it's probably something wrong. And, um, and as we get closer, we realize when we get right to it, the car had hit the truck with the red paint and the lights going all over the place, and he was helping another part of a wreck over here, and somebody just nailed that truck. And I'm thinking of all the vehicles on the road. I think I could have missed that one. And it was, I mean, it was underneath the bumper. It didn't hurt the truck at all. It was all underneath the bumper. And so a few minutes later, a highway patrol came by with his lights on, and I thought to myself, you better turn those lights off. It's like moths to a light. You're going to be in a wreck pretty soon with that. I've just never seen that. thought you might want us to enjoy that with me. Let's pray together. 
God, we thank you for you. Lord, you are so amazing. And you love us so much. And God, you want us to have a plan. Help us to build that around you. You want us to have a plan. God, help us to build it around you. Lord, that my, my, my business model is going to start with you and then somewhere down the line get to monies and structures and all that other stuff. Lord, my family plan is going to start with you and then eventually get to, to devotions and extracurricular activities, but it's going to start with you. Lord, my marriage plan is going to start with you. Somewhere down the line, it's going to get to to romance and communication and all those things. But Lord, it's going to start with you. God, help us to do this across the board. With everything in our life, help us to just center it around you. Lord, help us to fight all the the natural tendencies to try to to, to develop something within ourselves that will work within ourselves and be a structure within ourselves. Lord, help us with this. In the name of Jesus. God, we submit to you, we surrender to you. God, help our marriages, help our families, help our workplaces, help our responsibilities, help our, our finances, help everything, Lord, that, that it will belong to you and then you will take care of all those things. We thank you for this, and we commit it to you. We commit it all to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.